Welcome to IdeaGen TV. Today, we are thrilled to have with us the CEO of the Global Institute for Disease Elimination, Glide, from Abu Dhabi, Simon Bland. Simon, Hi, you know, Simon, always great to see you. I love the logo. I love everything that you're doing. Uh, in light of everything that's happening on the planet, you're one of those people that are changing the world. I'm trying to make you blush at the start of the interview. It's an exciting moment for the work that you're doing because of the focus on disease elimination, isn't it? Well, it's it's quite prescient, yeah? I mean, it's on people's minds right, right now. I just actually went downstairs to grab a coffee and someone in the elevator said, oh, you, you work at that institute, you got your work cut out for you. You know, are we, are we, are we gonna eliminate this? So, so, and therein lies the story. But yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting time to be working in global health. Well, it is. And I can't think of anyone better uh, to be helping to lead that charge. And so, Simon, as we kick off this interview, would you start by kindly providing us with an update on the global pandemic on COVID-19? So, George, we've talked about this a few times now. I think the last three or four conversations we've had have all sort of led off with COVID. So it is still very much on, on everybody's minds. And I think how you view it depends very much uh, to, to, a, to a large degree on where you are. Um, there isn't one epidemic, there's one pandemic, but that is, 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 is manifested in different ways in different parts of the, you know, of the world. You asked me early on that very question, you know, will, will we eradicate this disease? I think I said back then, you know, it's possible, but it's going to be a long haul and it's going to be difficult. And it's, you know, it's within our gift to do it, but it's going to it's going to demand an awful lot of attention, an awful lot of investment, an awful lot of collaboration. Uh, and, and the pandemic continues and it, it, it continues quite aggressively in many parts of the world. We see various waves and cycles of increasing numbers of infections and increasing number of hospitalizations and we see measures that that seem to bring it a little bit more under control and then we see a resurgence so we've seen that 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 pattern of waves across across the globe we're learning every day every week every month about this new virus um you know it is novel um we haven't seen it before it doesn't mean we're making things up as we go along but we're constantly learning and adapting um, to what we're learning. And we need a degree of, of, of humility as we think about this virus. And I don't think anyone, certainly in, in, in the medical profession or, or the global health profession, um, you know, professes to know everything, that we're, we're, we're constantly uh, um, sort of researching and finding out and, and adapting and learning from this. Um, it seems to me we should be adopting a precautionary principle approach to this. Um, in terms of all measures that we think, you know, will help. I, I think we should be adopting them. Uh, and let me just give you an example. I sit here in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, um, and I can't actually think of a safer place to be right now. The response has been quite remarkable. Um, and that's not only the very aggressive uh, rollout of, you know, of vaccines in the, in the early days, that was Sinopharm. Now there's a there's a broader, a broader choice of vaccines, but with the probably the, the highest ratio of population being vaccinated anywhere in the world. And we're seeing numbers of cases continue to drop now under 300, around 300 uh, you know, a day, hospitalizations very small, deaths very small. Um, 
and everything's open. You can go to the cinema, you go to the mall, you can go to restaurants, people are in the offices, people are working, and yet there are measures around social distancing and mask wearing, you know, uh, precautionary uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions that seem to work and people just get on with it, um, with, you know, without any drama. So in, in many ways, that's, a, a, you know, a privilege to be here, uh, you know, and be part of that you know, sort of coordinated and consolidated effort here. Uh, I mean, what else to say about this? Um, there was unprecedented scientific uh, collaboration, the development of, we talked before, George, about a number of vaccines, uh, you know, which I think is, uh, uh, had, we, had we predicted early on in this pandemic, we would have said, wow, it'd be great if we have six vaccines all over sort of 70% efficacy. And, you know, we have that. Um, so unprecedented scientific collaboration, but woefully inadequate political collaboration, in, in my view. We certainly don't look like we're in this together and certainly haven't really endorsed no one is safe until everyone you know, is safe. Um, and until we really vaccinate the world, the pandemic's going to continue. You know, um, almost 60% of the world still hasn't had one dose of a vaccine. So we're a long way from this being over. Uh, it's not surprising that efficacy of those vaccines that people took six months ago is, you know, is waning. I think many uh, in, in global health would have anticipated that. Um, and so again, that's just another measure of, uh, you know, of ad adaptation. Look, today you, you're, you're doing this 17 days of sustainability around the, um, the, the General Assembly and, and the SDGs. I know the, the, the global COVID-19 summit is happening today. It talks about ending the pandemic and building back better to prepare for the next. That's the good news. People are talking about preparing for the next because there will be another one. So it's good that people are talking about this. Um, you know, the first session is sort of vaccinate the world. And my message is, well, just do it. Stop talking about it. And if you really care about it, the world must do it. And it's woefully inadequate uh, in, in terms of, of the response right now. Um, and we must guard against complacency now. You know, we see fatigue already. People are tired of this of this damn virus and, and, and of lockdowns. But we have to redouble efforts for this pandemic, but also be prepared for the next one. And if you remember, George, I'll finish with this point. But as we transition from the MDGs to the SDGs, I think it was Ban Ki-moon. Um, uh, and it said, we need to stop thinking about billions and start thinking about trillions. We need to up our ambition um, when we think about the sustainable development framework and we need to invest accordingly and i think that's right but i want to flip that on its head and say i want people to stop to start thinking about trillions to billions think about the tens of trillions of dollars this pandemic has cost and actually convert that into the billions that we need to invest to be much better prepared for the next one it's a no-brainer it's petty cash, and yet I'm not yet convinced the world is ready for that message and going to and going to step up. So I think it's in our it's in our interests to be advocating for that very strongly. Well, Simon, you um, as always articulated a very complex issue in a very succinct way, and I think that investment that you're articulating, converting those trillions into billions and flipping it, is a really you know, incredible way to look at this. You know, the the inequalities in vaccine distribution are, are very clear, as you've talked about. Um, there is a fatigue across the planet with with the with the pandemic itself, and I think uh, to your point, an investment in terms of vaccination and um, preparing 
preparing for the next one, like you said, is absolutely critical because shutting down the world costs a lot of money. <laughs> and so, you know, when, you know, it's, 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 it's frustrating for a lot of folks across the world to see this, especially you who, you know, you're looking at, at practical approaches to disease elimination, right? You're looking yep. at reality on the ground and you understand probably better than anyone on the planet what it takes to eradicate into in in the institute's verbiage eliminate disease and and it must be frustrating for you when you look at the amount you believe it will take to eliminate it versus the willingness to do so yeah that's the part that you're articulating here and so as this pandemic continues almost two years now since you and i first spoke on this issue two years if you can imagine right um, how has this affected, in your opinion, research toward your goal of eliminating and eradicating other diseases that are perhaps equally or, or more uh, impactful to humans? Thanks, George. Uh, I, I just want to go back, if I may, a second. So you're, you're right, the, the, the world sort of shutting down, travel shutting down, it certainly cost, uh, it cost, cost trillions. But equally thinking about the privilege that, that that you and I have in many ways, which says, okay, we can work from home. Um, we can still get food. You know, we have a job, we have a livelihood, we have shelter. Um, we can be socially distant. Um, we can, you know, adopt these non-farmer you know, initiatives. For, for a large proportion of the world's population, that just isn't practical or feasible. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an individual livelihood cost as well as a global you know, economic cost that we're dealing with. Look, I think uh, on, on, on the impacts of this, uh, uh, I know you've asked me this question before and I'll give you the same answer. I don't know. Uh, we still don't know the full impacts of this on, uh, on other areas of work. Anecdotally, of course, we see the impact of the disease in our own countries on hospital beds, ICU beds, uh, routine preventive, uh, you know, medicine, getting appointments, trying to see a doctor. Um, you know, we've, we've felt those implications individually. Um, it, it really was an all hands on deck approach and quite rightly so uh, um, to, to, to think about COVID. If we look at polio programs in Pakistan as an example, it, it, the, the whole architecture for the polio program was largely um, repurposed to help deal with COVID. We've seen that across uh, uh, NTD programs and, and, and other tropical disease programs. So in some ways, having those health systems in place has, um, you know, has helped with the response to COVID, but it's clearly diverted attention um, and clearly diverted uh, resources away from some of the things that, that we care about. So we know there have been interruptions to polio vaccination. We know there have been interruptions to the uh, mass drug administrations for, for various of the neglected tropical diseases. Um, we know that some malaria programming has been impacted, not, not to the worst case that, that, that some uh, modeled in the early days, but nevertheless, those impacts are there. And, and we've seen a, a, um, a reduction in funding, in international funding for uh, some of the things that we care about. The UK made a decision to um, move its uh, 0.7 GNI commitment to 0.5%. I understand that decision, it's a hard decision, but equally within that some very tough decisions have been made and 
and, and the, the work on neglected tropical diseases, for example, will, will suffer badly uh, as a result of those financing decisions. So COVID, not only has it cost trillions of dollars, it's it's focused minds, it's, um, it's, it's if anything, it's, it's added to the neglect um, uh, where we're working quite hard to try and reduce that neglect and get, you know, get the job done. So we have our work cut out for us. And I think there are, you know, opportunities for working across diseases rather than working on individual diseases. But it's been, it's been a tough, 2020 was a tough year. 2021 is a tough year. I'm hopeful 2022 will be a little easier, but it's going to be, it's a long road back uh, from the, from the shocks to the system that we've seen. That's right. And it's, it's uh, certainly, um, it, it rocks your soul to hear, you know, the, the depth to which, you know, the impact has taken a toll on everything you just mentioned. It really does. And I think talking about it with our global audience to make sure that people understand that, that this is a pandemic, there very well will likely be future pandemics and that preparation piece if there's a message out there, especially to leaders and government, et cetera, and, and the NGOs and corporate arena, be prepared. You know, this is um, this is not a shock. You know, many people predicted it. So yeah. it, that's the part that's difficult. And so earlier this year, Simon, you wrote an article titled Ending the Neglect, How Appropriate, Integrating Approaches to Disease Elimination. Would you kindly share with our audience globally a little bit about this article? Uh, thanks, George. I, well, I was sort of alluding to it earlier. Um, uh, just think about this for a second, and, and, and I understand it. Um, but since the start of this pandemic, you know, there have been more diagnostic tests developed for COVID-19 than for all 20 of the neglected tropical diseases over the last 100 years. So if you care about something and you invest in something, you will make progress. And it is about ending the neglect. If we continue to neglect, you know, the, 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 those diseases of poverty, those ancient diseases of poverty, um, you know, they're going to endure as, as they have, for, you know, for, for, for millennia. Um, so that's the first point. I think the second point is that equally we're going to be, we're going to be charged with finding more efficiencies in, in, in how we work globally on, on tackling disease. And we can't take a single disease vertical or siloed approach. We need to think about a much more integrated approach. And it's an easier thing to say than do, but just imagine this. In many parts of the world, malaria is by far the largest cause of illness uh, and, and mortality. And the vast majority of consultations in, 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 in health clinics, and, and doctor's offices and hospitals, you know, are for malaria. When one makes great progress on reducing that burden from malaria, those numbers go down and it becomes less and less viable to maintain that system to deal with malaria as you move down to fewer and fewer foci and fewer and fewer numbers. And so it makes much more sense to have systems that are integrated across lots of diseases rather than just tackling just tackling one. Um, so I think there's an imperative because of resources and rationing. I think there's also an imperative because if you're not careful, you'll be the victim of your own success. You'll drive 
for example, malaria down to low levels, and then you'll stop doing it because you're worried about something else and you get that resurgence. So there's a strong argument for bringing, uh, uh, you know, these sort of cross-disease uh, uh, disciplines together. And that's largely what I was talking about in that, you know, in that, in that paper. Simon, what incredible perspective and what an incredible article and insights you just provided. I'd like to pivot a bit and ask, what sort of innovation are you using at Glide to assist and focus on disease elimination? So we use that word a lot, George, um, the sort of innovation you know, and creativity. I, I guess the first thing I'd say is that look, we're a very young, uh, emerging organization, first of its kind in the region. And, you know, I think our strength will come from working with partners and, and, and trying to work in a way that helps them go further and, and faster. Um, particularly at the local level to help close that last mile of, uh, you know, of, of implementation. Um, there's a number of innovations, I, I guess I could talk about. I mean, everything from a partnership we have with the Carter Center that's looking at the particular challenges in remote communities on the uh, Venezuela-Brazil border, the last vestiges of river blindness in the Americas. Um, there is a wicked story in, in Western Central Africa um, so we're working on uh, one of our diseases that we care about is river blindness, uh, onchocerciasis. And left untreated, this is a disease that causes blindness. It also causes uh, uh, some very difficult skin problems, puritis, rashes. Um, uh, and it was a, a very debilitating disease uh, affecting millions of people and making large swathes of Africa uninhabitable for you know, for decades, um, there was massive progress through sort of, uh, it's spread by a, um, uh, a, a parasitic worm called Onchocerca volvulus, and, and the vector that spreads this is a black fly. And these black flies breed in fairly fast flowing rivers in, in certain parts of Africa. Um, early work on vector control made some, some, some big gains. Uh, and then Merck developed uh, a drug a very interesting drug called ivermectin. You may have heard of ivermectin because it's in the news right now around COVID. Um, but it's an incredibly effective drug for the removal of uh, what we call microfilaria um, of the parasitic worms of, uh, of Onchocerca. And um, back in the 80s, Merck decided to donate uh, as, as much ivermectin for as long as it would be needed um, globally to help rid the world of, uh, of river blindness. So, uh, you know, a remarkable commitment from a, from a pharmaceutical company. Uh, and so billions of doses of this uh, have been distributed across, across Africa um, to great effect. Um, we're, we're, we're moving clearly in the direction of, you know, of elimination uh, and eventual eradication. Uh, but it's hard and it's complicated. And one complication is that in, in certain parts of Western Central Africa, uh, there's another parasite called the African eyeworm or, or Loa Loa, or Loasis, um, that, uh, you know, is also found in some of the communities that, that uh, have these, um, this uh, Onchocerca parasite. And one of the paradoxes of nature is that if you treat someone with ivermectin and they have Loa Loa, 
the eye worm, you run the risk of a serious uh, 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 adverse medical event, coma or even death. So that's meant that large swathes of Africa cannot be treated for risk of treating someone with lower lower and, uh, and, and having a really, a really bad outcome. Um, so we, uh, along with the Gates Foundation, along with the Task Force for Global Health in Atlanta, along with the University of California, San Francisco, uh, along with authorities and institutes in, you know, in Cameroon and, you know, and many others, um, are, are working on the development and application of a, of a new diagnostic that allows, um, uh, you know, the rapid diagnosis of, of lowesis so you can, know who you can treat and who you can't treat. So there's a, you know, it, it's it's a wicked problem, as I said, but there's an innovation there that I think, you know, over time will um, uh, will mean around 80 million people who can't be treated right now, you know, will be able to be treated and, and further advanced sort of elimination. We work with others on, on um, getting out the story of, of new drugs. There's an, a new alternative to ivermectin called moxidectin, which, which looks like it has great potential. Uh, so we're working on that. We have partnerships with Sight Savers looking at better visualization of data for, for uh, some better informed programmatic decision making. We're working with Sight Savers on uh, the particular challenges of, again, river blindness uh, uh, assessments across borders um, using new catching methodology. So there's a range of things that we continue to look at. Um, that, that, that we think, you know, sort of will help move that agenda forward, uh, you know, and, and accelerate us. Now, one of the things I would just say here is that many of the tools that we're using for some of these uh, uh, neglected disease programs are pretty old tools now. We don't get huge levels of research and development investment. Um, nothing like we're seeing for COVID, for example. And I think there is a case to be made that says, um, you know, we, we really need to continue to invest globally on, on R&D um, in our own countries, but also R&D uh, in those frontline countries for new tools, because it is through these innovations, sort of creative solutions, um, that we're really going to see sort of leapfrogging and, uh, you know, and that, and that progress. So we've got, we must apply and use the tools we have right now, but we're de in desperate need of, you know, of new tools. We're not a huge organization, so we don't have a big R&D sort of an investment portfolio. Um, but we want to be making the case that it's in the world's interest, the world's best interest to be making those investments uh, you know, in science and technology and breakthroughs, because uh, we think it will be good for all of us. Incredible, incredible to hear your perspective, incredible to hear about specific diseases and how you're tackling those to eliminate them, to eradicate them. and. I'd like to pivot a bit more, Simon, to ask you about an award. Would you kindly share with our audience a little bit about the Falcon Awards presented by Glide? Sure, George. So look, I talked about working in partnership with others, helping them go further and faster. And we've got some great partnerships that are, you know, starting out. Uh, site savers, Carter Center, Bridges to Development, University of California, New York University, and you know, and others. But we also wanted to put out, um, uh, if if you like, um, an opportunity for frontline institutions to um, put forward ideas 
uh, principally uh, operational research ideas to help further the, 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 the cause of disease elimination. Um, we received over 200 applications uh, from 44 endemic countries across our diseases of focus, polio, malaria, uh, lymphatic filariasis, and, uh, and onchocerciasis. Um, and those uh, it have been uh, narrowed down to a, a list of finalists. Those finalists are now being assessed, uh, and we should be able to announce the winners you know, over the coming month or two. Um, we'll take stock of, uh, of you know, that process. Uh, and, uh, you know, I envisage us doing this, uh, you know, again, whether we do it again in 2021 or we skip a year and do it every every two years, you know, I don't know. But it's been a remarkable um, process and, you know, we've we've developed a, a huge network of people interested in, you know, in, in the cause uh, and have had some really, really interesting and some great innovations actually in, in the concepts that have been put forward. So that's our Falcon Awards for Disease Elimination, or FADE for short. Amazing, amazing. And recognition is such a key part of helping to highlight, you know, those change makers, right? And this is what it's all about. And so, Simon, as we conclude this incredible interview, this inspiring interview broadcast to our millions of what listeners and, and viewers across the world how can individuals find out more about the work that you're doing at Glide? Thanks, George. Well, look, um, uh, visit our website at glideae.org. Follow us on Twitter, GlideAE. We also publish a quarterly bulletin, summarizes the updates of our work, uh, as well as the latest research and innovation towards disease elimination. So you can sign up for that on our website. I mean, I really wanted to finish, if I may, George, with just sort of three headline points I'd, I'd want to make from this. It's always great talking to you. And uh, I love the way you bring sort of sort of multidisciplinary experts together to think about the world's wicked problems. I, I just say three things. COVID isn't over, but it, but it could be. It's going to be a long haul, but it, but it could be if we really want to. Um, don't give in to fatigue and complacency because we know there's going to be another pandemic and let's flip that trillions to billions and think about global health as your health and global health as my health. Um, we can't turn our back on disease elimination. You know, if we stick with it, if we continue to support and strengthen those frontline systems, they serve all, all humanity. Um, in the long run. So it, my one hope is that this pandemic does wake the world up um, and does suggest that there are solutions. Uh, but I think it's a case that we still have to make, uh, you know, at every opportunity. So I, I ask everybody that listens, everybody who's part of part of UNGA to continue to advocate, you know, global health is your health and global health is my health. Thanks, George. Global health is your health. Global health is my health. What an incredible message to conclude on today here. CEO of Glide, Simon Blant, leader, luminary, and change maker. Simon, you are changing the world. Thank you for that. Thanks, George. Great talking to you as always. Likewise. It's our pleasure. Yeah.